everybody. This is So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Today on the show, we are finishing up uh, Star Wars. Hmm, nope, I wish. Nope, Star Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. The uh, we're, we're finishing up the Next Generation films. Uh, so today we're talking about Star Trek Nemesis. Um, like I said, the final um, movie starring the Next Generation cast. Um, it's kind of their send-off for a while. Uh, this uh-huh. movie came out in 2002, uh, starring, you know, the usual suspects, but also a, a very, very young Tom Hardy in what I, from what I could gather, was his first real starring role. Uh-huh. Um, he plays the lead villain in this film, whereas previously he'd only done a couple things, and I think he was kind of a background guy. So, Star Trek Nemesis, if nothing else, gave us Tom Hardy, in a way. How people feel about that, I don't know. He's okay Tom sometimes. Hardy was hot for a bit. Um, I like uh, him Tom in Hardy's some things. Tom Hardy's hot all of the time, thank you. For really? Oh, you guys geez. still big on Tom Hardy? No, I no, just I'm mean not. physically. I just mean he was him. in, he was in movies, like, left and right in the mid to late 2000s. I remember movies. I just I I was literally just talking about physically. People find him very attractive. We'll have to talk about one of my favorite um, unintentional uh, Star Trek crossovers later in the mm-hmm. movie or later in the review. But uh, we'll get to it. It's another Tom Hardy movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, this movie came out in two thousand two. It was a December flick, um, directed by Stuart Baird. <laughs> Which, if you would, uh, if this gives you any indication of how this movie went, was the last time he ever made a movie. <laughs> right. I did he never. He never made a movie again. What were his uh, other credits before this? Uh, 1996's Executive Decision. Great movie. And and 1998's U.S. Marshals. See, mm. that's something you need to mm. apologize for, Andrew. <laughs> for knowing that. For knowing whatever the hell you just said was in 1996. Executive Decision. Six people know that movie. That's apparently Six. why they went no. with him on this, is that Executive Decision and U.S. Marshals were fo- both fairly well-liked for uh, they, they, their action components. And now, I, they wanted to put a bit more action in this Star Trek movie. Credit where it's due, we have run into Stuart Baird before um, in a way that we did not realize. He's more well-known as, as an editor mm-hmm. and was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for his work editing Superman. Mm. So. We've covered Superman, obviously. Uh, it was a great Superman series first, the first to one. cover. Yeah, Superman, the, the, the motion picture, the movie, whatever they called it. Wow. He, he edited that movie and was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for, for that work. Wow, it's an extensive career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he went back to editing after Nemesis. <laughs> he didn't direct again. Some other movies that, that we've heard that we'll, we'll have heard of that he's edited. Um, one day we will talk about these movies. Uh, he edited Casino Royale and Skyfall. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, his long, his career did not go away altogether. Longtime listeners will know that the, this season was supposed to open with, or not open, but you know, we were leading into the Daniel Craig Bond films pre coronavirus. So now I don't know that we'll get to see that movie this year. I'm really not sure. <laughs> November, yeah, November. That's who has a magic eight ball. Um, he also edited 
uh, Green Lantern. All signs point to no. And Yikes. the uh, 2018 Tomb Raider reboot. So hmm, I never saw that, but I, I was I was curious. Lucia Vikander is that the one? Yes, it's fairly mm-hmm. inoffensive. It's not like a great movie. I wouldn't watch it again probably, but I enjoyed enjoyed it for what it was. I mean. It wasn't Alicia like Vikander, hot garbage or anything. It wasn't hot garbage. Alicia Vikander is a pretty good Lara Croft. Um, Walton Goggins, I love him in everything he does. Yeah, he's, he's captivating. He's so, but as much as I would rather talk about literally any of those movies, we have to talk about Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead. I, this movie's twenty-ish years old, almost. So, um, you want to describe the story a little bit? Yeah, that's what I was going to do. Um, yeah. I was just going to give a brief spoiler warning because this movie has a legitimate spoiler. If uh, Well, a couple of legitimate spoilers. But uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled, I guess go away. But if you don't, <laughs> so Riker and Troy are married. Mm-hmm. He's about to ship off on his own. But a, uh, a mysterious figure known as Praetor Shinzan appears and it is revealed that he is a clone of Jean-Luc Picard. Gasp. J-O-P. Gasp. Also, <laughs> the uh, Enterprise crew finds a- another android um, created by Dr. Soong, who mm-hmm. is the creator of Data. This is the third android they've ever found. Well, no, the second they've found. So there's Data, there's Lore from the television show, mm-hmm. and this is B4. Um, and Lore is essentially evil data. Yeah. And B4 is essentially baby data. <laughs> right. So it's got, a, it's got a kind of interesting dynamic of you've got this other data and this other Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you know, Picard versus Picard, that's, that's the battle that goes down. So it's got... <laughs> Well, the reason this movie makes me the angriest, I think, is because it has what should be a good story, and they still ruined it. Um, mm. Because I love the idea of it. And the scene where um, Shinzon basically reveals to Picard that he is his clone without saying it and is in like, here, take my blood. Like, that scene was good. Mm-hmm. Tom Hardy was creepy and intimidating in that particular moment. He yeah. kind of loses it later on, in my opinion, but... He's a scary dude at that point. At that point, and you're like, "What? Is he, what is going on?" Because you don't know what's going on. And Picard mm-hmm. looks pissed off. Yeah, he looks mad as hell, and you don't want to make him mad as hell. Um, I honestly think that's all the positives I can say. <laughs> okay, I thought the the idea of the story was good, and I thought uh. Tom Hardy had had moments, and Ben John and Patrick Stewart is great all the time. But oof, that movie was bad. So I guess let's go around and kind of you guys can give your thoughts. Now that I've given mine, I believe David's the only one who had seen this. Andrew and Garrett had not seen it, right. which is surprising to me because Andrew has seen all of them up until now. Yeah. So I actually think I want to hear from Andrew first. Yeah, I do want to hear from Andrew too. What do you think? I think, I think it was an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I liked, I liked the duality of the possibility of like a good Picard versus an evil Picard. Yep. And uh, I, I 
took that away very I took that away from pretty much all of it and it's also the movie deals with a lot really with a lot of duality because mm-hmm. you have well, I just said Picard but we also have data you know there's two data I mean technically there's two data in this more or less yeah more or less yeah and one has you know one has a learning curve one is the respected officer and uh, as far as as far as the idea of the movie is concerned, it was a good idea. Poorly executed. Poorly executed. Um, other than that, it's just I don't know. It's it it's it's the send off to the it's the send off to the next generation film series that we should not have got. Yeah, it's enough we did that we didn't deserve. What what's the important? Important question for Andrew because I'm gonna I, I have a bet going with myself. Did you like this more or less than Insurrection? I'm kind of indifferent. It's not an answer. But, but I you got like one better than the other. Come on, it's you got not you. an answer. Okay, I would have to say I like this a little bit more. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You're wrong. You, I, you were so yesterday. wrong. Oh, I knew you were going to like this one more. Why? No. Because he's predictable. Because it, well, because, well, because Garrett's going to give this make sense. No, Garrett's because gonna give he, this a terrible he review and then give it three and a half stars at the end. He's, no, this one's going to be bad all the way around. Um, he's hated Insurrection for so long that even watching it, I think that you two, Josh and David, walked away thinking that movie was better than you remember. It wasn't great, but it was better than you remember. It wasn't mm-hmm. as bad as you remember. Andrew was the only one that had the opinion that it was still bad. And so I knew that going into this, that nothing was going to change his opinion on Insurrection and that he was going to like this one more because of how much he hated Insurrection. I think he's- and going into this, there was absolutely no way that he was going to like this less than Insurrection. You got ousted, boy. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Garrett's in your head. Well, uh, that. he's living in there rent-free, but he wants out. I do. Oh, my God, it's the worst. <laughs> well, I mean, like, trying to get I mean, like, would I ever watch this again? No. I don't really care for it. It doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't but you had a better time watching this movie than you did Insurrection? For I real? had a better time watching this because this was completely new. Oh my god! This was completely new to me. It's doesn't like, mean it's better. It doesn't make it better, but like, I don't know. the The idea and the concepts were good. I like the ideas and the concepts better than the last one. So. My eyes are gonna twitch. Your response is bad. You have a bad. Well, to this. you know what? You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna own up to it. Ooh. That's 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 my opinion. I'm sticking to it. All right. I'm gonna call this movie Michael Jackson because it's bad, y'all. Bad. What is it? It's Michael Jackson. I'm gonna call this. I'm gonna call this Leroy Brown because it's bad, bad. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what. Badest man in the whole dang town. No, this was bad. It was boring. Nothing happened except for that one scene where Tom Hardy revealed that he was a clone. Outside of that, absolutely nothing happened. We were watching, Josh and I were watching this with another friend of ours 
who literally left because she was so bored. She was like, I'm going to leave, guys. Uh, you have fun. It drove her away because it was so damn boring. And realistically, the only reason I stayed is because I had to. It's really aggressively boring. It's awful. Uh, we, we must have checked the runtime about a dozen times throughout it. Yep. And every time, uh, an hour had passed, but realistically, it was like 10 minutes. 10 minutes had gone by, but it felt like an hour. This movie is, I think, the longest one. It's almost yeah, two hours. It's like right at two hours. Yeah, and it was two hours too long. It shouldn't have... I remember this movie coming out. Uh, I remember seeing the trailer, and I remember thinking, this looks really good. Um, the trailer made it look really cool, look really creepy. Uh, it was none of those things. We all, we all need to start remembering to watch trailers for these movies before we watch the movie. I uh, agree. So that, we can, so that we can see how it's marketed before we see it and yeah. then be able to talk about that. Because, yeah, I have no doubt that the trailer made it look awesome. Trailers always do that. Yep. It looked really good. Yeah, we should do, we do retro reactions. Yeah. These old trailers. I, uh, I like that. Yeah, I have nothing memorable about this movie. Nothing stands out. Uh, there's absolutely nothing about this movie that should be recognized or considered. It should be straight forgotten. Wow. And when did you guys watch it last night? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it a week ago. Oh my. You have, you've had time to let it stew. Mm -hmm. I hope, I hope it didn't though. I hope it left your mind. Oh, well in, in places it did. Do you want me to go now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We've all gone. Okay. All right. Loved it. It's not as bad as I remember. It's really not. It's it's not nearly as awful as most people give it credit for. This movie is credited with killing the franchise, but the reason that happened was because nobody went to see this movie. This movie That's like, true. This movie made next to nothing uh, compared to all the other movies. And I there's and there's there's five, six, seven different reasons you could accredit that too. But Here's what I'll say. It is stunningly lackluster in terms of what they wanted this movie to do. That said, I, here's what I appreciate about it. It's darker tone. It's a slightly, it's, it's, a, it's a very new kind of villain that we've seen because we're getting the Romulans, which we've never seen in the films before. And you're getting a bit of like what feels like a closure for a lot of the characters send off for a lot of the characters, but it also feels really half hearted. All of the goodbyes because like everybody, everybody involved, the actors, the director, the writers, even a lot of the, the people that I've, the, the, the producers who, who, who have quotes here in like uh, the various uh, uh, articles about this movie all say there was another movie planned after this. But the box, the box office performance pulled the plug on that. So I was so confused as to why they would go through all the effort of having Riker and Troy get married and go off to a new ship. Dr. Crusher's getting a new job. Here's that spoiler alert for you. Killing off Data. Like, half the cast is gone. What was the plan for the next movie? Well, they bring all you Data got left is Picard, Jordy, and Worf. They bring they bring uh, data back in a half-hearted way. Had they done another movie, B four would have just been data. Yeah, like exactly. he, there would have been no evidence that that was before he would have been fully developed as data 
and and that's the way they would have done it because that's yeah. the way they said it. And I have no doubt about that. I have Which no is doubt a BS that they, thing to that's do. That's why if they did it. Kill somebody, stick with it, and kill somebody. I have no doubt that that's why they did it to leave themselves that potential. But it's just so confusing as to why you would think, hey, let's have a whole bunch of very heartfelt goodbye moments and clearly a sign that we're done while we're also pre production for a sequel. What were they thinking? Well, like, and what's if they had oh, if they had written this? and marketed this and planned for this to be a swan song finale and written a story that really played to that, then this would be great. Unfortunately, it's story-wise about as interesting as what we got in Insurrection. And, uh, and doesn't feel like it should be the last story, you know, the last story, quote unquote. It just doesn't feel like it fits. I love the idea of Picard struggling with basically the idea of nature versus nurture, that if he had grown up the way Shenzhen grew up, that he as a person in his heart would have turned out to be a monster. And that the only reason he didn't was because he had a fairly good life as a child and as a, and growing up and went to Starfleet and all that. He's looking at this and saying, am I really capable of being this tyrannical and a monster? And here's more or less an answer staring back at him. Yeah, if you'd grown up the way that this guy grown up, you are that, you're capable of that. And the truth of that question bearing out that we're all capable of that. Like under different circumstances, we all could have been wildly different people. And so like the but you know, the 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 philosophical debate coming in of being like, well, you know, part of it is you know, you how you're brought up, but a big part of it is the choices you make, all that. All great. All all very Star Trekky way to 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 tell a story but that's not necessarily i think the best story to tell if your other foot is on let's do a good send-off for some of our characters so like it's lackluster as a finale as a finish i don't know why they wrote it the way they did i like a lot of the other aspects this would have been a good story if they wanted to say hey here's your story next year we got another big one coming out and they really don't release this when they released it and it do terrible so I like Picard. Uh, Patrick Stewart's great as always. Tom Hardy's really good. Um, I like the car chase scene at the beginning. Sue me. I like that, you know. And um, I like the. Uh, honestly, the movie probably should have been like 15 minutes longer. What? There are some great deleted scenes. You got to. You guys have got to see some of these deleted scenes. Some of them provide so much more actual character Listen, development than what we get I'll- in the movie. I'll concede that some of the deleted scenes should be added in, but they sh- but equal time should be taken for what is added. Yeah, oh, you I'll make this you what movie longer. I cut out. myself. Pretty much, like, pretty much the entire boring, <laughs> pretty much the entire pointless fight between Riker and Ron Perlman's character should be taken <laughs> yeah. out. All of that was pointless. Like, I want the Will Wheaton that, scenes to be put back in. Into that with Troy getting the better of that guy, that's all that has to happen there. We don't need to have Riker trying to go and fight that guy. Yeah. Like that's all pointless. I agree. Um, but if you've never seen the deleted scene, Josh, for the actual ending, cause they have like an actual ending where Picard comes out and he meets his new first officer and then they get their first mission. It's great. I don't want to spoil it, but it's like, it's, it it's, it's a great last, it would have been a great last line for Patrick Stewart's character and for the TNG cast. Does that he make it so number one? No. Well, uh, you want me to tell you? 
I don't care. I, okay. You ask the other two people who are fans of this franchise, like legitimate fans. It's a good deleted scene. You just look up um, Picard's chair or something like that. I think it'll probably be the name of the deleted scene. But uh, it's a good. It's a good. It would have been a great way to finish. And they could have devoted a little bit more time to developing the the heart of this story, and maybe taken out a little bit of the action scenes, taken out a little bit of the sort of more unnecessary uh, conversations that uh, I felt were there. Hmm. I uh, I don't even know. I, don't know. I had something and I just forgot. Like the rest of this movie, I just forgot it. So, <laughs> so uh, there's gonna. I'm gonna do some speculating, probably a little bit. But I wanted to talk about data. My understanding was that in one of the previous films, either Insurrection or First Contact, I don't recall. Brent Spiner, the actor who plays Data, wanted Data to die, mm-hmm. and they told him no. I think it was Insurrection because I believe I remember reading that they said, wait till the next one. And so it's, it was, it's my understanding that it was the actor's wish for the character to die. And, and, and I think it makes sense. <laughs> but why? In there. I agree, but, but he didn't because he chose to continue playing B4, yeah, which we know that would which would have left him still returning for the next movie should it happen. He also went on to play his to play Data's creator, Dr. Soong, in Star Trek Enterprise, mm-hmm. and he's returned in Star Trek Picard. Mm-hmm. So, like, why did you want your character to die, guy? Uh, at the you time, clearly were not done. At the time of Insurrection, I read this quote. I had this quote uh, pulled up last week. He said it was because he felt like he was aging out of the role. And, and I agree with aged that. aged out of the role at this point. Well, it's hard to maintain your look when you're an android who doesn't age, but you're a human who does. Right. Because you can tell, like, oh, yeah. Data is clearly older. I wish e- they had just found a way to explain that e- with even, babble. Even, you know, they, they, they have in the past, like, there's episodes of the show, I think, where he mentions that he, Dr. Soong, developed a software within him that uh, uh, mimics aging. Mm. So, like, he can, you know, like, over time, his, 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 his his skin for like his synthetic skin will start to show signs of wear and aging but it's going to be way prolonged compared to that of a human person human person <laughs> human weird. person human can i ask you guys a question about the tv hmm. show compared go to ahead do the women have anything to do in the tv show <laughs> plenty plenty then why is this the only movie in the three movies that we've had, the only movie where the women have had anything to do. Tori, is the, Tori this is the first time. I, I was telling Josh and our other friend, I don't think that they have said the women's names in these movies outside of maybe like a handful of times. Mm-hmm. I was not confident in either of their names uh, outside of the fact that I knew Dr. Crusher because of Wesley. Um, but like, I don't know her first name, Dr. Crusher. That's what I know her mm-hmm. as. I don't know. I did not know the counselor's name until this movie because she actually had something to do. And I think that's a problem with these movies is that these women have absolutely no point in any of them. And I yeah. find that that's awful if they actually like do things in the show. Because again, I've not seen it. But if they have parts to play in the show, how are they so incredibly neglected and all of these movies. Uh, I'll tell you what, this might be a weird sign of the times kind of thing too. I'll, on the show, on, on any TV show, 
you have way more leeway to have multiple character arcs and character stories that are focused on different characters different weeks. There are some episodes of the show that are super Worf heavy. Compared to, compared to the show, Worf is like a, a, right there with the female characters in Agreed. terms of like no real point of even being there. I agree. There are some episodes that are like all about Worf. There are some episodes that are all about Jordy. There are some episodes, there are, there are plenty of episodes that are all about Picard or Data or Riker, but these movies, by and large, just push Picard and, and Data to the forefront of these are the two, basically, these are your two characters and everybody else is just support staff. Um, right, they're the, they're the Kirk and Spock of this show. So it's, it, I would say it's hardly uh, just the women, but it, unfortunately for their characters, they seem to suffer the most because they don't even really get at times as much to do as Jordy and Worf and Riker. Yeah. So I, I couldn't tell you why, other than the fact that filmmaking of the 90s and early 2000s was still, at least in terms of action films, still very much a male-dominated uh, line of thinking. Well, and then my, my other guess. question, my other question regarding the cast of this or the crew is at this point in time, and I, and I don't know the timeline, so I could be wrong, but at this point in time, isn't Worf already a captain of his own ship? Why is he always there? Well, this movie came out a few years after Deep Space Nine ended and yeah, he does have his own ship. I think they, they try to casually explain that by just having him being there for some event like I think because it's oh because it's a it's their it's it's because it's Riker and Troy's wedding in this in, in this scenario it's Riker and Troy's wedding so he came for that and he just happens right. to be up on the ship when all everything goes down gotcha. why he's allowed to just start serving as <laughs> the yeah. you know the it, chief it's of security like, it, it's almost like they just ignore the fact that he's a captain at this exactly. at, in these movies what's, and it's just like and just what's funny to me is that an interesting parallel is that in generations. One of the reasons that, that I read that George Takai said he would not return was because Sulu was a captain of his own ship and it would not make any sense for him to be there. And he stood by that and did not did not appear in the movie. Yeah. Because uh, he was like, because they wanted him at the helm. And he was like, why would Sulu be at the helm? He's his own captain. Yep. You, just want, you just want him there to serve under Kirk one more time. And I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So it, it's, yeah, it's kind of the same thing with Worf, except Michael Dorn just agreed to do it. That's just fine, but. Yeah. We, we looked a little at this kind of stuff, not really as in-depth here as we are now, but when Garrett and I did a brief podcast about mo- TV shows becoming movies, and it is a problem, I think, in general, where you sort of make that leap that some characters don't really get as much of the spotlight mm-hmm. as they do in the show. Um, that's the problem with an ensemble show becoming a film. You can't make room for everyone, but it, it is telling that they specifically chose to kind of ignore both of the, the only two women who are in the main cast. But if you're going, for me, if you're going into a story here, but they do, she gets, she gets an opportunity, but for me, still not really where if, if you're making an ensemble show into a movie, you have the opportunity if you, and you know, you're going to make multiple movies, uh, put the other people that were not highlighted as part of the problem in the next movie. Give mm-hmm. them all an opportunity to do something. I talked about, um, in my opinion, and I, you could all probably disagree with me, but in my opinion, Insurrection had the most opportunity for people to shine for various different things. The women still didn't really get a chance to shine other than they 
talked about how they were excited their boobs were firm, firming up more. But in insurrection, more people had an opportunity to do something and be a part of something. Whereas the other, the first two movies were focused on Picard and Data, um, with Jordy kind of having a little bit more, and, and Riker was there too. But like, you could have had an opportunity for like something to include Dr. Crusher. I mean, she's, in my opinion, the one that like got the shaft every movie. Yeah. Um, except for the fact that she was leading around uh, Alfred Woodard's character in First Contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have, like, you have all of these previous stories, I'm sure, that you could have worked in in some way, shape, or form to make them more a part of the plot and feel like they're getting something out of it. Because if I were any of those secondary characters and I saw these movies, I would be livid. Be like, we were as part of as much part of the show as anybody else for seven years, and we have absolutely nothing to do in four movies. Mm-hmm. I'd be furious. I think it's they almost it's almost a bit of a metaphor, probably unintentional, that uh, Doctor Crusher's first appearance on film, she is literally shoved off of the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. think they intended that, but she it's 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 quite telling. Yeah, she is. Data shoves her off the ship. Yep. <laughs> into the holographic water so that right. data can be I am data and I am the star of this show. Yep. Right. That's, it's yeah. you know and it's it's something that I feel like if they were developing it today like if if they were to do a reboot series of this particular of the these these characters they would probably give a little bit more attention to all the other characters uh because I feel like you got a little bit more with Chekhov and Scotty and uh, even Sulu in these new Star Trek movies than we really got in a lot of the early ones. I, I mean, I'll have to go back and rewatch those ones and kind of compare and contrast more. But, you know, like, look, if we can manage like 30-something heroes in the Avengers movies, I feel like we can handle like seven principal characters in a Star Trek movie. You're right. Um, I, fr- I just remembered one thing that I do really like about this movie and is very small, but it right. is freaking... Admiral Catherine Janeway. Janeway. Yep. 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 Love that. that. Really cool little... Love that a lot. I want I love a that Janeway she's, movie. She's really, she's really uh, 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 familiar when she talks to Picard. She's like, well, the Romulans, the Sona, the Klingons, you just get all the fun stuff, Picard. And he's like, I, yeah. <laughs> I wish that they could have made Voyager movies. I would have been yeah. all over that. Yeah. Um, and they had, uh, you know, it was great to get that 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 cameo there, and obviously we had uh, the Doctor and we had Neelix in First Contact. I am a little sad now that I'm I'm further along in Deep Space Nine and enjoying more of it that we never mm-hmm. got our Deep Space Nine cameos. They filmed mm-hmm. a court cameo for Insurrection, but it got cut. Oh, I didn't so, know. So, bit of a bummer that not all the not all the shows managed to get a moment on the big screen, but. Glad to see yeah. Admiral Janeway. If you never watched Voyager, it is by far one of the weirder and more fun of the Star Trek canon. Yes. And, I tell uh, everyone to start there. Apparently a mess and set several times during production. So Don't care. It's my favorite. <laughs> Come I fight me. Anyway. I know that's not a popular thing to say. I don't care. Come fight me. Oh, I, you know, I love it. I used to watch it every night on UPN. Yes. 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 Smackdown would end. Voyager would start. UPN 41. Um. Uh, so but, yeah, that was my favorite thing. Yeah, talk, Andrew. You've been silent for an hour and a half. He's he's been contemplating how to defend this movie. 
No, the only thing I'll say is is that like I'm happy that the Romulans kind of played a role in this. Me Cause, too. Because like, yeah. like Romulans throughout these movies, uh, throughout these movies have been like like it's it's really just about the Klingons. Like the Klingons are the Klingons are like almost like the main enemy of Starfleet. We see the Romulans, but we never only really in the old series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this like, is the first time in any of the movies the Romulans have been exactly, involved. and they're kind of one of the big baddies of the show. Yes, and and they always they always talk about like how Romulans are bad and how Romulans are bad, and it's just like, well, let's you know characterize them because I think in the entire series here we've only seen the Romulans like once, and they were dead. So here's a question as a non-fan that I'm going to piggyback off of that. Sure, I know from watching this movie that the Romulans were included in this, but I genuinely do not feel like they played a part in this movie. Um, they didn't really. I don't, no, I think I know they were there and I know that they kind of talked about them, but to say that you're happy about them being included is kind of sad in my opinion. Like I get why you're saying that because you want to see them there, but like, I don't feel like they served any purpose. The well, main villain was yeah. the main villain was Shinzon who is not a Romulan. And his yeah. Ron Perlman Viceroy, who I don't think is a Romulan, right? No. He, that's not they a Romulan. Are, the people at Romulans. the beginning were in the Senate were the Romulans. And then mm-hmm. they basically disappeared until three quarters of the way in when that woman showed back up. And she's the only Romulan that I remember seeing throughout yeah. the rest of this movie. And then she turned and helped Picard. Right. So, like, they served no point, no purpose. They did not seem to be bad to me at all. No, but there, the 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 presence is really there because uh, yeah. you know because it, it was all st- stemming from their society. You know, um, the idea, and I don't think they've ever actually shown Remus or the Remans before um, this movie. But you get this idea that the Romulans have been more or less subjugating these people for like thousands of years, and this is like their big coup d'état. And uh, the person leading them is this human clone of Picard. So it's all a little weird. Like they did, like they wanted to have the Romulans, but they were kind of afraid of going full on with it, which is confusing. The whole thing about Romulans is that, is that they are sort of an, an analogy for, uh, ancient Rome. And they're like a, uh, uh, I can, I'm never really, I can never really remember what the exact, uh, uh, canon explanation is, but they're very closely tied to the Vulcans. And the Vulcans themselves have never really played a big part in the TNG uh, storylines. But, like, there's a real opportunity here to kind of, like, use that. And you're right. Other than showing us the Romulan Senate at the beginning, it's very much about this, you know, group of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, minority aliens that they've been taking advantage of all these years, sort of rising above them. And then the lone... Romulan left really in the movie is this woman who kind of makes the decision to side with Picard in the Federation, which is a pretty big decision for a Romulan when you consider they've been having a cold war for like 90 years. Yeah. It's interesting that going forward, the beginning of J.J. Abrams Star Trek is still considered in this prime universe. And, um, Romulus is after this point destroyed. So Romulus, you know, seems to have been on the mend maybe with the Federation that this was like their entire 
their entire political government been wiped out at the beginning of this movie. So like, they're, they're really, they're, the, as, a, as a society, they're kind of hurting. And then their whole planet gets destroyed. So the beginning of this movie was basically Star Wars, y'all. Yeah, I was going to ask you to talk about that because you identified it the most. I don't, we didn't know if there's any kind of intention to this uh, or not, but you, Garrett had noticed that it in moments felt eerily similar to The Phantom Menace, I think. Yeah, they had like, it opened up with people pleading to a Senate that was ruling over everything. Um, the Senate made this uh, big, massive decision, and that's what everybody had to preach to. Uh, we talked about the fact that Viceroys were also in Star Wars. So it seemed like instead of, and and this is just like bits and pieces in my opinion. Like I don't think the whole thing was like super Star Warsian, but I think that in 2002, obviously, Star Wars, and, and Star Wars has always been more like in the mainstream as far as like the general masses than Star Trek. But I feel like they were trying to incorporate a lot of different elements from Star Wars into this movie to make it more palatable to people who weren't familiar with Star Trek, but maybe Star Wars. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were trying to put those kinds of elements in there as these are things that we can play on and be like, oh, it's connectable. And, and I can kind of relate to certain elements of this and be Star Warsian instead of Star Trekian. Do you guys find those? Did you guys pick up on any of those things? Because again, you guys know a lot more than me. I didn't really feel that, well, but I can. I can retroactively thinking back to it. I can definitely see that with Phantom Menace having just opened and Attack of the Clones being on the way when this movie um, came out. I think the impact of Star Wars coming back would have absolutely had to have had some kind of um, minimal to large impact on how they were they were writing Star Trek. Um, I can't remember when Insurrection came out, and I think in, what, 98, didn't we say? So it's been four years, and between that in that time, you've had Star Wars come back and literally, you know, break the bank at the box office. So, like, you're kind of competing with, as far as most nerds are concerned, your prime uh, rival in the science fiction genre. Um, and that's in addition to all the other fantastic movies coming out in 2002 and 2003. So I'm sure there was a little bit of like, we need to capture some of the, the spectacle that star Wars brings. Right. Cause in my star in track has never really been about spectacle. Right. And it wasn't even just, the the senate aspect i mean and it wasn't even like the phantom menace in my opinion like the whole car chase scene while i did find that enjoyable it reminded me of like various pod racing scenes in um star wars the people at the beginning who were chasing the little dune buggy that came out of nowhere reminded me of the sand people from the very first star wars um they were they were just a lot of element as far as like look and the way they acted and the way they felt on that planet, that whole beginning scene just really felt like it was picking like, okay, this is very Star Warsy. This is familiar. This is familiar. Let's put all of these little pieces in there to kind of make you feel like it's Star Warsy and, but like make a Star Trek again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was gonna, I, I was gonna ask another question about like, why is it that Star Wars 
has has this sort of fan appeal, even though Star Trek has been around longer than Star Wars, but Star Trek just it teeters off. Like you can't like it has Star Trek has a dedicated fan base, but when it comes to their movies, their movies like are nothing. And maybe and maybe that's it. Is like like Star Trek is purely purely for television, and Star Wars is purely for film. Mm-hmm. My question. That's my. I mean, that's my opinion. Is I think that um, the general masses feel like I've never seen any of this television show. Why would I go see this movie? Yeah. I uh, and and look at me for as that prime example. I never have seen any of these movies. I've seen some of the TV show, but not TNG. Um, but because there are so many seasons of Star Trek, even though they are not, they're connected, but not connected. I feel like I haven't seen any Star Trek. So why would I go see these movies that star? I mean, let me caveat that, that star, the people from the TV show, the JJ Abrams, Star Trek, those were successful because they are not connected. They started over. They started over and, and they're better fresh. It's the same reason that I don't necessarily get into comic books really is because if I start on volume 123, I feel like I've missed 122 volumes that are important to the story. And, and that's why I feel like these movies that star, these people are not as successful as like the JJ Abrams ones who reboot everything. And I don't need yeah. to see the TV show. I can go see this movie and not worry about the previous 17 years or however many seasons they have. I don't have to worry about that. I would say in terms of the long term, because you, like you said, Star Trek started in 66, yeah. right? You know, Star Trek started three years before with the moon landing, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a pro as a franchise, as a, as a, as a intellectual property. And then had a long hiatus until the 80s, except for the films that were coming out. And the films were hit and miss in terms of interest level. But I think even until, I would say right up until midway, like through season, like season five, season six of Star Trek, between four and six, somewhere in there, Star Trek was still very niche, very cult. Like, this is all pre-internet, stuff like that. The thing about Star Wars in comparison is that Star Wars was like a big event. It was like it's credited as being one of the first movies to be an event film. You know, it is for kids. It is for adults is, you know, for whoever wants to go see it. And the benefit of if you want to catch up on Star Wars, take you a couple hours, three nights, three nights. And you can be caught up in Star. You can be caught up on Star Wars like Star Trek. Like, where do you want to start? You know, where do you, you know, and you're talking about, oh, this is the 10th film in a franchise spanning four different television shows. Like there's a lot of investment there and there's ton of, there's tons of content that if you're genuinely interested, you could watch an episode of Star Trek every day for like two years and, and and then start the movies. You know, like you can do, you can do it however you want. Star Wars is much more is so much is, is way more accessible, yeah, and is something that I think appeals to children even more than Star Trek does. Even though Star Trek clearly appeals to tons of kids at a certain you know at a certain point, but they do. Yeah, it's just the accessibility of it. 
they do two very different kinds of science fiction. Um, Star Trek is honestly the anti-Star Wars in a lot of ways. And it's a little cloudier now, but if you go back originally when um, these two movies came out, I mean, Star Trek The Motion Picture came out just a few years after Star Wars did. Um, Kind of in response to Star Wars in a bit of a way, um, you know, movies like like Star Wars and and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, kind of were like showing people that sci-fi is maybe cool again. So you watch Star Wars, and you're like, "Oh, this is cool! I want to see more space stuff." And then you go watch Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and you are probably going to be very disappointed yeah. uh, if you're expecting anything remotely similar because yeah. it's not that kind of sci-fi. It's like I, I'm obviously not I'm not comparing this in the way that it's going to sound like, but Star Wars is like your action adventure sci-fi, and Star Trek is the motion picture is more along the lines of like 2001: A Space Odyssey. And the early Star Trek movies is the um, the level of like action and 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 energy those movies have. The first Star Trek movies. Like all, I would say all the way up until even Nemesis, they treat space battles like submarine battles. It's just like slow fire torpedoes when ready. Yep. We missed fire again. Like it's just the slowest way yeah. to have. And combat. Star Wars is out there with showing you dog fights. Yeah, and like they're doing dog fights in space. It's so much more action oriented. And so the new movies, like it opens up with like things blasting everywhere, explosions happening, big action, big excitement. The spectacle is there. Those early movies didn't have that much spectacle. The reason Wrath of Khan is so well-beloved is because it's so intense as a character-like interaction. You have these two dynamic personalities going at it, and they can't, and they, like, something, we'll get into this another time, but Wrath of Khan, the two, the antagonist and the protagonist never meet face-to-face. Right. And yet they have this intense uh, interaction throughout the film. But yeah, it doesn't Star Trek make is a for lot. quite as exciting. Like it's a totally different kind of way of appreciating a science fiction film. I've yeah. always called Star Wars more science fantasy than science fiction because it's so it's so outlandish and it's so far beyond even what it could be, be, be even be considered plausible science fiction at times. Star Trek is a lot smarter um, with their stories. Um, and, 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 and just the way they do things in general, it's not, oh, I don't want to call Star Wars lazy because it's not. But if you're going to compare the two, they don't really get into the nuances in Star Wars like they do in Star Trek. No. They, they play to that, that building of the world in a factual-based way, whereas with Star Wars, it's more of this is just accepted, deal with it. We're not going to really explain it, whereas Star Trek really kind of gets into the the deep nuances and the world building. And then that's just two different philosophies on how to build yes. this world. Right. Exactly. Um, well, and the other thing is about star Wars is that star Wars kind of, kind of goes around other genres, right? Like it goes around, uh, you, you could easily compare star Wars to say samurai films or even Westerns. Mm-hmm. All right, and I think that's where that appeal comes from, and I think that's where it's derived from. Yes. Whereas Star Trek, 
What? <clears throat> no, go ahead. I'll, uh, I'll Star Trek is just completely, it's like pure science fiction and it's thematic elements. It's very deep stuff. Cut these both to their core too and look at what they're about. Um, Star Trek is about a advanced form of humanity um, exploring the universe known and unknown and bringing peace wherever they can. That's an admirable storyline that is fun to watch. Now look at Star Wars. It is about an oppressed people fighting for freedom from a tyrannical empire. Which of those is more relatable to people? Everybody wants to cut out there. What a tyrannical what? What Uh, Star Wars is is an oppressed people fighting up and rising up against a tyrannical empire. Mm. Well, which of those two is going to be more relatable to people? People are going to feel more in Star Wars. Even at a more like like micro sense or macro sense, I'm not sure which the right term is. I think macro sense, micro sense. Uh, Star Wars is about a very simple hero's journey. You start with young child learns that there's more to the world than he even realized, goes on an adventure with his mentor, mentor dies, he ascends to the next level to defeat the ultimate evil, right? That's your like basic story beats. Star Trek is about here is a group of culturally diverse people who have learned how to how to share space and interact the way that all humanity should and here they're going to frequently meet with people who are attempting to break that sense of unity with new ideas and here's how we will continue to maintain despite the idea or despite the confrontation of new ideas old ideas what have you like star trek is supposed to be much more and uh, much more of an analogy of humankind's growth whereas star trek is very much a or star wars is very much a, a more singular story about one how one individual overcomes a, a hero's journey an arc if you will yeah all right well i have uh while i enjoy talking about this far more than star trek nemesis, nemesis specifically <laughs> we should probably move on toward wrapping this up by switching to talking about how big of a box office failure this terrible terrible movie was let's do it so star trek nemesis debuted um as josh said the weekend of december 11th way back in 1998 or excuse me in 2002 uh it finished number one with a three-day total of 22 million dollars which uh, by even by 2002 standards is not a very high finish so, hang on here. If we look at the weekend for Star Trek Nemesis and what was it was going up against, it was a very difficult time to release. So, Star Trek actually opened number two. I said number one a second ago. I apologize. Star Trek Nemesis opened number two. Oh, I guess I have these all wrong. These are my insurrection notes. Sorry. <laughs> What are it you reading here? Number two, sorry, excuse me. It opened number two with an eighteen million dollar haul, just two hundred million dollars, or just um, two hundred thousand dollars behind Made in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, number th- in the number three spot with twelve million dollars, you had Drumline. At number four, you had Die Another Day, James Bond film. At number five, you had The Hot Chick, 
Wow, what an awful lineup of. Yeah, you remember the hot chick? I do. Yep. The only good one. It's me, Jessica. Drumline is the best movie on that list. If you're going to be real, (laughs) Drumline's (laughs) not that good. And the thing is, so here's here's the here's the truth of the matter. That was a that was not necessarily the, the stacked lineup, but here's what was also going on at the time. A month earlier, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets released, and it was the number six. Let me pull my that, that page up again. It was the number six movie that week, and its fifth weekend made six million dollars. So you have Harry Potter's big sequel. Uh, one week after this, guess what opened up? Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. That's what I was going to think. So you have James Bond's 20th film. You have the second in a powerhouse trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, which we reviewed earlier this year. And you have the second Harry Potter film debuting a month before. It was a packed holiday weekend or holiday. And basically everybody made the decision, we're probably not going to go see Star Trek. Yeah, for so, the people who marketed Star Trek to release it at this point in time was stupid. The The winner timeline is uh, for movies that are, in my opinion, pretty big blockbusters still. Um, to an extent, you have some blockbusters. This movie is not that. It should have been released at a very different time, September. That's right. So... Star Trek would go on Star Trek Nemesis would go on to make forty three point two million dollars in the United States over its over its run. You add twenty four million from international brings its worldwide total to just sixty seven point three million dollars. Which is a very, very low finish. Um, going back and looking at two thousand two on a whole, uh, Nemesis uh, let me adjust this to in year releases. Uh, the highest grossing movie of 2002, as you guys might remember, is Spider-Man. Then you have Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Those are your uh, top five. Wow. Uh, Nemesis would finish quite low down in the number... Where is it here? There it is, the number 54 spot. Just above a movie called Reign of Fire... Which is a lot Great of fun. I like that movie. And uh, right under, and right under, Great big movie. fat liar. Oh, big fat liar! So your highest grossing uh, non-sequel that week, Spider-Man, highest grossing sequel, Two Towers. We've been over this before. You can go check out either our review of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films or Lord of the Rings uh, for more on those. And then finally, what else? Oh, so I want to take a quick look at Star Trek: The Series. So um, this is unadjusted for inflation, so apologies for that. But uh, for the series of Star Trek, Nemesis is quite far down towards the bottom. As you might imagine, the most recent films by J.J. Abrams are the highest grossing. Um, I think no. adjusted for inflation, the, the motion picture and Wrath of Khan rise up there pretty high. But Nemesis, uh, unadjusted, is uh, right at the bottom. Uh, Star Trek, the motion picture is right down there with it. Uh, not bringing in very much. I'm sorry, that's its re-release. Anyway, I'll need to take better notes next week. I thought I'd taken care of all this, but I apparently did it wrong. Anyhow, uh, overall, the highest grossing uh, Next Generation film is First Contact. And uh, 
yeah, it never really captured it from there. Nobody went to see this movie, and they uh, didn't uh, didn't continue the franchise. So, dang. Uh, overall, overall, not fun. I'd I forget do. who is running the letterbox game this week. It's you. Well, it's you, but I ha- I, I do. I remembered a quick fun fact that it, this is mostly for Andrew because I think he'll get it better than. I mean, y'all will get it, but he'll get it. Uh, so this, so Nemesis, the screenplay was written by the same man who wrote Gladiator, The Aviator, and yeah. Hugo. Yeah. How did he write this shithead? Don't know. Have no idea. This must have been. This must have just been like one of those things where it's just like, oh, we're just gonna put his name on there. We all make yeah, mistakes. Like, like John Logan. John Logan, like. John Lovitz. But he's the lone credit. He's the yeah. only one who wrote this screenplay. The when, story when I, was developed by other people, but he wrote it. When, when I when I saw that credit, I'm like, man, that, this guy has written so many good movies, and he's also a winner of best play at the Tony Awards, and. So he's got de- he's got decent decent. He can writing. write. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. It, it's just it, 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 for every for every win, there's a loss, and clearly this is a loss. Yeah. Okay. All right, I have the score ready to go here. So for Perfect. those of you who may not have watched this before, the Letterbox game is where we go to Letterbox, the very popular film community site slash app. Uh, if you don't have it, try it out. It's a lot of fun. You just uh, pick movies, rank them, give them your own ratings, give your own reviews. Uh, and luckily, it doesn't really divide reviewers, uh, like critics and fans up. It, you're all in one pot, and so everybody's opinion is more or less weighed the same. Um, right now, in our overall scores, uh, I'm in the lead uh, with a whopping five correct guesses so far this year. Everybody else is tied at four. So... Star Trek Nemesis, where do we think it falls? Just oh. shout out your answer when you're ready. 2.2. 2.2 from Garrett. Low 2.2. I would go with 2.0. 2.0 from Andrew going even deeper. 2.4. 2.4 from Josh. Um, normally, uh, in a case of a tie, we have a few different tiebreaker options, but Luckily, we will not be needing a tiebreaker this week. The winner this week is Josh. With 2.4. The actual score on Letterboxd, 2.6. Oh, that's too high. I don't know. I think that's about... That makes about as much much sense as anything else. Um, Four people have put this in their top four movies. That's more than interaction. In their favorites. That's not right. So let me uh, let me look here. I wonder if I can do this. Um, so 2.6, first contact, we went back and looked, was a 3.6. So a full point lower than first contact, which I believe is the highest rated of these. Uh, Generations was a 2.9. So most people ranking it under Generations. And then Insurrection was a 2.7. So big drop-off, like... Uh, 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 not bi- not that big of a drop off from insurrection as far as most people are concerned. Terrible. That's yeah. it. So, what are our personal rankings? One star. One star from Garrett. One and a half. One and a half from Andrew. Wow. Uh, it's a one from me too, dog. Whoa. It's bad. 
It's a horrific All right, movie. well, allow me to drag our terrible score up. I'm going <laughs> to give it a two and a half. I think that, uh, I don't think it's as, I don't, I think it's a little bit interesting than Insurrection or Generations, and unfortunately I have to give it a big downturn because uh, I just don't feel like as far as, a, they should have made it, they, a better movie could have been made. So it's, it's, it's overall just disappointing. Yep. Well, our final so many sequels score for this movie is going to be a 1.5. Mm. Mm, that hurts my heart. I'm, all right. s- I'm sorry for your heart. It's at least a 2.5, but all right. Nah, it's bad. <laughs> and that one star, that one I gave it, that's for, that's for Admiral Janeway. <laughs> and you know what? And a little bit for the corner of uh, Wesley Crusher's head that you get to see in the wedding scene. Yeah. Yeah, if you watch yeah. the deleted scenes like we talked about, there's a full little moment with Wesley Crusher that's that's worth it. And we do, hey, you know what? Some of your one stars should go to the fact that they put Guinan back in. Yeah, that's true. Guinan. Guinan. Little Whoopi Goldberg. That was yeah, nice. they put her back in. That was nice. Never saw her again. She'd been married uh, 23 times. That's a lot of times. That's a lot. Okay. Well, that ends our Star Trek series for this particular round of Trek movies. Someday, hopefully, we will return to Star Trek in either the original series films or the JJ-verse. Hopefully, we get there one day. But you'll have to check out our social media channels. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search so many sequels in all those places. Uh, To find out what we're going to do next, we will spin our our wheel of sequels. Sequel. And you'll find out on social media what we're going to do next we don't even know yet we haven't done it so go do that um and that's it to it until next time face the final frontier these are the voyages of the star he kept talking huh he did yeah he kept going